Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Thursday, March 8th, 2018, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studio. Beantown Athletics is Boston's go-to destination for customized screen printing and embroidery. Get more information on their website, beantownathletics.com. Today's show is presented by DraftKings. You can play for free at DraftKings.com or on the DraftKings app by using my promo code PICK. That's P-I-C. And even though the NFL season is over, you can still use my promo code for NBA, NHL, and even PGA Tour contest. That's right, even golf. And as I'm recording this show right now, the Valspa Championship is underway in Florida. Tiger Woods is playing in this tournament. And if you missed the deadline to put together a DraftKings lineup for the Valspa Championship, well, don't worry, because they have a thing called the Weekend Golf. You just put together a new lineup by Saturday at 5 a.m., which means you see who made the cut on Friday. And Friday night, you go to DraftKings.com and go to the DraftKings app and pick six more golfers. And uh, you can do it for free. Play for free with your first deposit. They do have a $3 game with Weekend Golf for the Valspot Championship. It's called the Weekend PGA 25K Birdie Contest. So get your lineup in by Saturday morning at 5 a.m. Now, you can't pick your golfers or you shouldn't pick your golfers until you see who actually made the cut by Friday afternoon, Friday evening. So wait until then. Make your first deposit with my promo code PICK, that's P-I-C, and get a free game with some weekend golf. Again, the Valspa Championship, it is called the Weekend PGA 25K Birdie Contest. $25,000 in total prizes for that contest. Again, DraftKings.com or the DraftKings app, and use promo code PICK, that's P-I-C, to play for free with your first Deposit. Welcome to the show as championship week continues in college basketball. Me personally, that is not something that I pay all that much attention to. I don't really have much interest at all in any of the local college basketball teams in this town. I mean, this is a pro sports town. You don't need me to tell you that. And for that reason, you know, anybody that's out there trying to make you, like if you went to BC, or you went to, I mean, give me another school that was that that's involved like in this area. I, I don't know. And whatever it is, even if it's not college basketball, maybe it's college hockey this time of year that's big. If you went to that school, I can understand you being all in or being focused on that. That's fine. And you know what? You probably should be. I went to UMass Amherst, but uh, I have been so far removed from actually paying attention to some of the teams at UMass that it's tough to get back into it. Again, this is a pro sports town. It always has been and it always will be. If you do follow a college team, though, this time of year, I'm I'm not sitting here calling you an idiot or calling you a loser. I don't blame you for that. Good for you. I, you know, that that's if that's what you want to do, go ahead. And if you went to a school that's involved right now, you know, I I hope that you get what you're looking for this time of year with your team. But don't expect someone like myself in this town to really get into the dirty details of championship week, basketball, or anything that's going on in the world of college hockey right now. Don't expect me to really give you some expertise, some analysis, or even any opinion on what's going on with that because that is not my focus, and I don't think that's the focus of many people in this town because, again, this is a pro sports town Always has been and always will be. That said, I will begin with the NFL. I got some thoughts on the Red Sox as spring training is underway. I got some thoughts on the David Backus three-game suspension. David Backus of the Boston Bruins has been suspended three games for a high hit, hit to the head. And I do have an opinion on that, so I will get to that at the end of the show. But I do want to open up with the NFL. The NFL offseason is underway Franchise tag deadline day. The franchise tag deadline has come and gone. It was Tuesday of this week. And like I told you on Monday's podcast, it looked as if, I told you Monday, it looked as if Le'Veon Bell was going to get hit with the franchise tag. And that would be the biggest name and the biggest story in the NFL this week, that Le'Veon Bell would be hit with it before Tuesday at 4 o'clock. And he was. Turned out he was hit with the franchise tag. It's about 14, what, 14 and a half million 
Now, it's the second straight year that the Steelers are going to hit Le'Veon Bell with the franchise tag. Le'Veon Bell has since said he will not sit out the season. He's not going to... He's not going to boycott the season, right? Because he's been hit with the franchise tag. He obviously doesn't like the franchise tag. But he's not going to sit out the season. He is saying again, though, that he will sit out training camp. Now, that's just a negotiation tactic. Because I don't know that the Steelers, for the second straight year, want him missing training camp again. Or whatever off-season activities they're going to do. Le'Veon Bell says he's going to skip those things. I mean, it doesn't really make much sense because the quote that Le'Veon Bell gives is that he wants to be there week one and he wants to help the Steelers win. Um, But, you know, the best chance that you probably give the team to help them win, as talented as you are, is, is to be involved a little bit before week one, right? So I just think this is a negotiation tactic. It's a guy that obviously does not want a franchise he doesn't want to play under the franchise tag but the deadline to place the franchise tag on somebody was Tuesday of this week earlier this week and Le'Veon Bell was a name that was reported on Monday to be hit with the franchise tag again and he was so Le'Veon Bell 14 and a half mil for one year um but the story here in New England is obviously Malcolm Butler was not hit with the franchise tag we saw that. I think I talked about that on Monday. We knew that wasn't going to happen based on what we saw in the Super Bowl. Or should I say what we didn't see in the Super Bowl? We didn't see Malcolm Butler playing in that game. But, I mean, earlier this season we were talking about Garoppolo gets traded, the franchise tag opens, and it opens up for maybe someone like Malcolm Butler. But the Patriots did not do that. And the news now, though, well, it still is, it still is related to the defense. And even the cornerback position, because the news with the Patriots now, there are two names that we're talking about, huge names, that one of the two could end up being a Patriot next season. Those two names are Akib Tlaib and Richard Sherman. Now, Akib Tlaib already played with the Patriots. You know that. He's since been with the Denver Broncos. Richard Sherman... Long-time Seattle Seahawk since being drafted in 2011. Now, Akeem Tlaib was drafted in, what, 2008. So he's been around a little bit longer than Richard Sherman. Akeem Tlaib is 32 years old. He turned 32 in February. Richard Sherman, he's 29, but he'll turn 30 years old later this month. So Akeem Tlaib and Richard Sherman, they are both names that we are talking about here in New England with regards to, well, one of these two guys, one of these two big names could be playing for the Patriots this se- this coming season. And it's interesting because I did see Jeff Howell, the Boston Herald, mention these two guys a while back, maybe like three weeks ago, maybe even a month ago. I forget exactly when it was or what the article, or when the article was in the Boston Herald, but he was talking about these two guys. And it's interesting because as I'm recording this, I do not know if Akib Tlaib is going to get traded or cut I do not know if Richard Sherman is going to get traded or cut. I don't know if these two guys are going to end up just remaining with their teams because they are under contract. Akeem Tlaib, he has two years left on his deal, I believe. He does, yeah. Two years left on his current contract, Akeem Tlaib. And Richard Sherman, he has one year left on his deal. So it's not as if these guys are free agents and can go wherever they want. But... If they're cut, they can. Or if they're going to get traded, they might be able to have some type of say in that matter because the team that's maybe going out and acquiring them, I think they want to make sure before they give up anything valuable or any valuable draft picks, they want to make sure that they're going to have this guy. They're going to, they're going to want to have Richard Sherman around for, for more than just one season. Or at least they're going to want some type of right to negotiate with the guy on some type of contract extension, I would think. Anyways, it's just, it's kind of a confusing topic because we still don't know. And I don't know, as I'm recording this, this could change by the time you listen to the show. But as I'm recording this podcast on Thursday morning, we don't know if Taliba Sherman uh, are even going to be moved. But if they are moved, they could be cut and choose wherever they want to go, or they could be traded. So they're both names that. You know, we're hearing the Patriots are either involved or one of these players, they want to come to New England. 
Akib Talib reportedly says he wants to come back to the Patriots. That's what Talib says. Sherman, I mean, I don't, if, if Sherman's going to leave Seattle, you know, we've heard some things about him and the rift in, with the Seahawks. <laughs> you could go back and say, hey, it started when, when they decided to throw the ball at the end of the Super Bowl. Malcolm Butler picked it off. And it's funny, Malcolm Butler, you know, he rips that Lombardi trophy out of the hands of Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson, Marshawn Lynch, Richard Sherman, just rips the thing out of the hands. And uh, now, a couple of years later, we're talking about Malcolm Butler. Patriots want nothing to do with him. And we could see someone like Richard Sherman come to New England, right? I mean, if you're Sherman, you're Tlaib, why wouldn't you want to come to the Patriots if you don't want to be with your current team anymore, or your current team is maybe looking to move you. Whatever the situation is with with them and their current teams, if they are no longer going to be with those current teams, then why wouldn't they want to come to the New England Patriots? Now, the question is, who would the Patriots prefer to have more, Aqib Tlaib or Richard Sherman? And I guess that brings me to my, we call it a poll question of the day. I'm going to post it later on at dannypicard.com. But just to ask the question on this show, because I do have an opinion on it, because everybody's talking about these two names, who would you rather have on the Patriots, Aqib Tlaib or Richard Sherman? Now, they both have, you know, they both come, it comes with something, right? Richard Sherman has some injuries right now. You know, he's got the knee injury, he's got the Achilles issue. Um, Last year, he only played nine games. You got to keep Talib, who when he was with the Patriots. Now, uh, I, I keep Talib. <laughs> you know, there's there's some other stuff that goes on goes on with this guy. I think we all know that. But uh, when he was with the Patriots, a keep Talib when he went down with injuries, and it happened in the playoffs. Right when he went down, it was as noticeable as I've ever remembered when a player went down with an injury for the New England Patriots. Outside of the quarterback, when there are other guys that go down on the Patriots, whether it's during a season or during a game, usually the Patriots have this next man up approach that is a real thing and that works for them. When Aqib Tlaib was with the Patriots and he went down with injuries in the playoffs, in those games, like in the second half of those games, you felt that. The Patriots felt Aqib Tlaib's loss. So we know how important Tlaib is to a defense when he is on the field. We saw it with the Patriots, but knowing that he's a guy that's gone down with injuries in the past and he's now 32 years old, is this somebody that you want to bring back? And, you know, with maybe some other stuff this guy's evolved with, I don't, I don't know that Tlaib should be the choice that the, the Patriots make if they have a choice to get either Tlaib or Sherman. Now, if you're telling me you don't have, they don't have a, a chance to get Sherman, you know, if you're telling me Sherman is not going to come to the Patriots if he gets cut, or the Seahawks are not trading Sherman to the Patriots, if you're telling me that's out of the question and I can have Tlaib, then yeah. I, I mean, if you're the Patriots, you absolutely entertain this and you bring Tlaib in. If he wants to be with the Patriots, you you basically say, well, how bad do you want to be here? That's basically what you say. Because you don't want to, you know, give a shitload of money to this guy at 32 years old. He already said he wants to be here. You got you to gotta play the game. That's that's the way it works. How bad do you want to be here, Akib? So if you're telling me it's Sherman, you got no chance to get him, but Aqib Tlaib wants to be in New England, then then you take Aqib Tlaib. I'm not saying you don't. But the question is, and we're just saying this theoretically, let's say both of these two guys want to be on the Patriots. Sherman doesn't want to play for Seattle. Tlaib wants to be back in New England. They both want to be on the Pats next year. And you can only take one of these two guys. You already have Stephon Gilmore. You can only take one. Who are you taking? Aqib Tlaib or Richard Sherman? My answer is Richard Sherman. I will take Sherman over Tlaib. I will do it. It's it's something you have to consider. Like, it's not an easy answer. I, I You know, I don't... I, I do go back and forth. I do look into some things. And the things I mentioned, Tlaib, he's never played 16 games. He's... Aqib Tlaib, since being drafted in 2008, 
He's played 15 games in a season a good amount of times, but he's never played a full 16. Richard Sherman, on the other hand, while sure, he is dealing with some stuff, the MCL, the Achilles, he played nine games last season. Uh, While he's dealing with some physical stuff, Richard Sherman, since being drafted in 2011, last year was the first year he didn't play a full 16 games in a season for the Seahawks in his NFL career. So Richard Sherman, before last season, had played had played 16 games a season, a full season every season. It's just last year was the first year he didn't. So I think you take that into consideration. Also the age, Richard Sherman's 29. Yeah, he turns 30 later this month. So during the season, Sherman will be 30. Akeem Tlaib will be 32. I think you obviously like the fact that Tlaib has played with the Patriots. He knows what he's getting himself into. He wants to get into it again, according to reports. That's something that you like to hear. That's something that I like to hear because there's a lot of stuff going on now with the Patriots where people are saying, oh, they're falling apart. You know, things are things are bad. You know, there was another report the other day from Tommy Curran here in New England that, you know, he questions whether or not there's anybody in the organization to to sort of give it back to Bill Belichick and, and say, hey, what are you thinking with this move? Sort of to get Belichick to question himself or... or you know, to challenge Bill Belichick. Tommy Curran wonders if anybody in the organization is there to challenge him. I, and this is my opinion, but I don't know that that's just his opinion, Tommy Curran. I, I, I think that he has a lot of connections with what he does. And I don't think he just throws, Tommy Curran is not the type of guy that just throws shit against the wall. He's not. I mean, he's great at what he does. And, uh, I think he speaks with a, with a lot of knowledge. Sure, it's it can be opinionated, but it's an opinion based on things that he knows to be true. So when those things are, are written about, you know, is there anybody to, to challenge Bill Belichick and the Patriots organization? Knowing how good Tommy Curran is at his job, I look at that from afar and say, all right, there's obviously there's obviously something to that. Like, there's obviously things that are going on. I mean, the crafts admitted that there's some kind of tension. I've never denied that there might have been some kind of tension within the organization. I've never denied that some of the stuff in the Seth Wickersham report actually happened. I just gave you my opinion on it all, and I think by the time it does maybe get to the media or to certain reporters, I think maybe it gets overplayed. I think maybe there's an exaggeration factor. I think maybe these is, there are some things that I think we just have to accept are going to happen to an organization that has had so much success and has so many questions and, and has themselves now in such a unique situation. I think these things are going to happen. It's, it's how do you overcome this stuff? And can you survive this stuff? We're going to find out. I mean, we're going to find out if the Patriots can survive this stuff. But what I know is that Tom Brady's still the quarterback. What I know is that Bill Belichick's still the coach. And when you hear someone like Aqib Tlaib wants to come back to the Patriots, that is a good thing to hear because I think things can get out there around the league and it can be easy for us to portray it as something. But then when we hear a player say, nah, you know what? That's still a place I want to be. Like, New England's still the cream of the crop. Like, that is still the bar. You know, they have set the bar. They're still there at the top. Even though the Eagles are Super Bowl champions right now, New England's still the place you want to be. And so to see and hear Aqib Tlaib wants to come back to New England, that's a good thing to hear amidst everything that we've heard what's going on behind the scenes with the New England Patriots and their organization. And the questions that everybody has, it's good to hear that maybe some major players in the league don't have the same type of questions. Now, is it different because Aqib Tlaib has actually experienced it with the Patriots? And maybe, you know, Richard Sherman hasn't. So maybe Richard Sherman just doesn't even want to go near that. I don't know. I honestly don't know. because And and I don't know what Richard Sherman wants as I'm recording this podcast. But uh, the fact that Tlaib has been here before, that is something that you look at with this debate, who would you rather have Tlaib or Sherman on the Patriots next year? The fact that Tlaib has been with the Patriots before, I, I think that is definitely something you have to acknowledge when when you're weighing the, the, the two names and the two players. But 
to me, the age is big. It is. The age is key. I also look at Sherman. I mean, he's a smart dude. Went to Stanford. But I also look at him. It's like fifth round pick. Fifth round pick. Did anybody think Richard Sherman was going to be this type of player in the NFL? I can't tell you that I did. I mean, I can't remember what we were talking about with Richard Sherman during his rookie season. I can't. I can't remember it. But did anybody think we'd be here with Richard Sherman's career? Again, this past season was the first season he didn't play a full 16 games. Uh, He's one of the elite corners in the league. We've talked a lot the last four or five years about how this is a guy that maybe just plays one side of the field. And we've questioned whether or not, you know, he would match up with a team's number one receiver or if he would just stay on that one side and the off- he'd let the offense choose what you want to do rather than him be the guy that makes the decision who he wants to cover. You know, we've had that debate, and when we have that debate, we have to, we have to question whether or not Richard Sherman actually is one of the top elite cornerbacks in the league. I think he is. I see him as a fifth-round pick. I look at Tlaib... First round pick in 2008, it's like if you just threw the resumes down on a desk and you said, which one of these two guys is a Bill Belichick guy? I think you would automatically pick up the Richard Sherman resume and say, this is his guy. This is Bill Belichick's guy. So that is in my head. The age difference, even though it's just a couple of years, even though it's just two years, that's in my head. Um... You got to take into account the injuries. You got to take into account that Talib actually played for the Patriots before. That's a, a that's a positive there. But who would I take, Talib or Sherman, right now? If I could have just one of these two guys in the Patriots next year, who would I take? I would take Richard Sherman. I would. It's not an easy decision, but I'd take Richard Sherman. And if I'm the Patriots, if they are not going to bring back Malcolm Butler, which it doesn't look like they're going to do. I do think Malcolm Butler is still going to get paid out there from somebody on a multi-year deal with some with some pretty pretty decent guaranteed money. So Butler's not going to be returning. I think that the Patriots should go after Richard Sherman. I, I think that should be their play. I think they should go after it. I do. Even though Akeem Tlaib says he wants to play for the Pats. If Richard Sherman is available, whether it's a trade or you think you can somehow get to him and say, hey, you know, just, just try to get out of there. And, and, and you got a spot here with us. And here's what the deal's going to look like. You could, that might be called tampering to some people, but it happens. I, I, I don't ever get into tampering rants because I know that it happens. I, there are ways where guys can communicate. Teams can communicate with players on other teams, with agents of other players on other teams. It happens in every sport. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you it doesn't. So knowing that it does, there's a way to get to Richard Sherman and say, if you don't want to play in Seattle, we hear these rumors. We'd like to have you here. You know, let's make it happen. Patriots should go out and try to make that happen. Um, So that would be the guy that I choose. Tlaib or Sherman on the Patriots next year? I'd take Sherman. Again, not saying that I wouldn't be happy with Tlaib. I would take Tlaib. If, to, if, if, Sherman, if you can't get Sherman and Tlaib wants to come to the Patriots, take him. I don't think you can get both of them. So that's why it's a question. And with, I think there's still such an unknown with Richard Sherman. I mean, for all we know, Richard Sherman is, gonna, is just kind of using this the same way I think maybe Gronk is using retirement with the Patriots, which is I think Gronk's just trying to get more guaranteed money. Maybe Richard Sherman is trying to use this as a as a negotiation tactic and say, hey, what do you want to do here? And maybe he wants the Seahawks to come to him and his agent and say, listen, we don't want Richard Sherman to leave. What's it going to take to stay? And maybe there's a number that they can't walk away from. I, maybe, maybe that's what Sherman's doing. I have no idea. If it is and Tlaib is the guy that, that you can have, then, then you take Tlaib and you'll be happy with that if you're the Patriots. I'm not saying you shouldn't be, but the question is, if you can get one of these two, if Sherman is available, who would you take? I would take Richard Sherman. I would. I'd take Sherman. So uh, that's the conversation in this town with regards to the Patriots, but we'll see what happens. Whatever does happen with these two names, I will react to it 
Um, I'm here every Monday and Thursday. So if it happens, if so, if there are more rumors this weekend, I'll react on Monday. If there are more rumors in the middle of next week, I'll react next Thursday. So on and so forth. But uh, that's the NFL offseason. It's only gonna get more intense. There have already been a couple trades, right? Bennett going to Philly. I mean, the Patriots. Not Martellus Bennett didn't go to Philly. Martellus Bennett got he just got cut by the Patriots yesterday, which I'm not shocked by. Uh, Michael Bennett went to the Philadelphia Eagles in a trade. So there have been a couple trades. couple trades. Will we see more? I wouldn't be surprised if we see more. And if you could trade for Richard Sherman from the Patriots, I would do that. Before trading for Akeem Tlaib, I would trade for Richard Sherman. But we'll see what happens. And whatever does happen, I'll react to it. But moving on from the NFL, I do have some thoughts on Major League Baseball, and more specifically the Boston Red Sox, as spring training rolls along. J.D. Martinez has played in his first spring training game with the Red Sox. He hit cleanup. He was in left field, which obviously meant no Ben attendee. Jackie Bradley Jr. was in center. Mookie Betts was in right. And Hanley Ramirez was the DH. Hanley was the DH, which meant Mitch Moland was at first base. And I wrote a column this week in the Boston Metro. I write one every week. Make sure you check it out. It's in print every Thursday. Usually it's posted online Wednesday evening. And I usually tweet out the link and put the link on Facebook. So follow me on Twitter and Facebook to get those links. But my column in the Metro this week was Red Sox related. Now, I had some things I needed to decide. I needed to decide what I was going to write because this is sort of a dead period in the world of sports. I mean, we're waiting for the NBA and the NHL to get to the playoffs, right? Waiting for the Stanley Cup playoffs, waiting for the NBA playoffs. We are waiting for Major League Baseball to to give us some meaningful baseball, some meaningful games, waiting for opening day, which is Thursday, March 29th. The earliest opening day, by the way, in the history of the league, and every team, for the first time in a long time, will actually be involved in this year's opening day on Thursday, March 29th. And uh, we're not quite we're not quite there when it comes to the NCAA tur- tournament. Sure, it's championship week, but it's not the NCAA tournament yet. Not March Madness just yet. A couple days away, a week away from that. And um, the NFL offseason stuff is going on, but it hasn't really kicked into full gear just yet. So it's kind of a dead period. It's not the easiest thing to come up with a topic to write a column on when it comes to local perspective or a local sport, as I do every Thursday for the Boston Metro. So when I when I chose to write my column on the Red Sox, I did it. And I'm giving you the reason why I wrote my column on the Red Sox, because I was putting together my lineup the other day, my everyday lineup. I was trying, because that's all we can really do. I, I cannot sit there and watch spring training games. I can't do it. It's a waste of my time, to be quite honest with you. I, I just have no interest in watching a game that means absolutely nothing that's taking place down in Florida where you got guys doing sit-ups in the outfield while somebody's at bat. I I can't take that seriously, and because I can't take it seriously, I don't have much interest in it. So I don't really watch spring training baseball. It's a waste of my time. Doesn't mean I don't like baseball. Doesn't mean I... I'm not excited for opening day on March 29th. I am, but the only thing that someone like myself with that spring training mindset can do is really just visualize what it's going to look like when the season does begin. You know, that's putting together your rotation. Um, That's putting together your outfield, seeing what your infield's going to look like. What's the bullpen? What do you got coming out of the bullpen? And the biggest thing is, what what's the lineup going to look like? What's the batting order? What is Alex Cora's lineup going to be every single day? And I know we currently live in a world where lefty-righty splits uh, sometimes all the rage, right? It's, oh, you get, you know, managers will say, well, we got to put this guy against the lefty, this guy against the righty. We got to mix it up this way, that way, the other way. I'm a firm believer in, if you're a manager in Major League Baseball, especially somebody with a big market team like the Red Sox or the Yankees, right? You, if, I'm a believer that if you're a manager for one of these teams, you need to have a go-to lineup, regardless of the splits. Like, you need to have a lineup that's your everyday go-to lineup. And I'm curious to know what Alex Cora is going to be, what Alex Cora's lineup is going to be. So I was trying to visualize, I was trying to put together my everyday go-to lineup, 
regardless of splits? What's my best lineup? What's the best lineup the Red Sox could have, regardless of the pitcher lefty already, regardless of the matchup? What is it? And I think it's, you know, it's an easy thing from my perspective to look at it and go, well, you brought in J.D. Martinez. He's an outfielder, but there's no spot for him in the outfield because you got Ben Attendee in left, Jackie Bradley Jr. in center, Mookie Betts in right, and in a perfect world, you do not want to move those guys at all. You want to keep that. You want to keep the kids in the outfield, keep it the way it is, and so you got to find a spot for J.D. Martinez. That spot would obviously be the DH position because you have the luxury of being in the American League and you have that spot open. So you put J.D. Martinez in the DH spot, which means that you got to take last year's DH, Hanley Ramirez, and you know that he needs to be in the everyday lineup. So you can't just put him on the bench when you put J.D. Martinez as the DH. You got to put Hanley somewhere. Well, where do you go with him? You obviously have to go to the infield. You're not putting him at third because you got Devage. You're not putting him at short because. You know, when's the last time Hanley Ramirez played short? And, you you know, you got Xander Bogots. And you know, obviously not putting him at second base. So you got to put him at first. That's where Hanley played in 2016 and had a whole lot of success. Ha- actually hit 30 home runs that season for the first time since 2008 when he played first base in 2016. He had a great season. So that's the obvious move. That's from my perspective, from, you know, from where I'm sitting, I got to piece of paper and a pen, and I'm trying to write out a lineup, it's easy. Ben in left, Jackie Bradley in center, Mookie Betts in right, J.D. Martinez, who's an outfielder by trade, he is your DH every day, and Hanley Ramirez is your everyday first baseman, and so you take Mitch Moreland and you move him to the bench, and he's basically a depth player. You know, if there is some days where you do need to maybe give an outfielder a day off. You could put J.D. Martinez in the outfield, slide Hanley to the DH, and move Mullen to first. I mean, yeah, you're not going to do that. You shouldn't be doing that all the time. You shouldn't. But that's easy for me to say. And so the column that I wrote this week in the Boston Metro was really about how this season, from, a, from an offensive perspective, from a lineup perspective— it's all going to come down to Hanley. It's all going to come back to Hanley Ramirez because Hanley Ramirez playing first base is crucial to how this Red Sox lineup is going to look. It is. It's crucial to it because you need a spot for J.D. Martinez and there is no spot for him in the outfield, which means he's got to play DH, which means Hanley has to play first base. If Hanley Ramirez at any point during the season goes to Alex Cora, you know, he might not do it, to the media. He might not stand in front of a microphone or a camera and say this, but at any point, if Hanley Ramirez goes to Alex Cora, steps in his office and says, I don't want to play first base anymore. I was DH last year. I already played left field my first year. I played first base after that. Big Poppy's gone. I was the DH last year. Why does J.D. Martinez get to DH all the time? Why don't you move him to the outfield and let me be the DH because I don't want to play first base. You know, if Hanley says that to Alex Cora and actually feels that way and is is going to be passionate about that, Alex Cora's got a problem. Cora has a problem there. So, look, it, it's easy for us all right now. I think we're accepting the fact that Hanley Ramirez, when did he say it? He said it, I documented it in the column. On February 16th, three days before the J.D. Martinez signing was reported, not not made official. It was made official a week after that. I think it was 26th. On the 19th, it was reported that the Red Sox had agreed to a deal to sign J.D. Martinez. Three days before that initial report, Hanley Ramirez shows up to Fort Myers on February 16th, and he's talking to the media, and, and they're asking him questions. You know, he's feeling good about himself. He's on the telling them how he's on the TB12 method, right? He's all about that pliability life I don't know if he's sticking by the whole regimen I I would say somebody who needs to be a, or we're looking to be a power hitter in Major League Baseball I would hope that he's not necessarily sticking to that entire diet but the TB12 method with regards to the workouts and pliability okay fine he's feeling good about himself with that he's telling the media about it he was also saying that He's willing to play wherever Alex Cora wants him to play. He said if Alex Cora asks him to play first base, 
He'll play 150 games at first base. He even clarified after that and said, no, I'll play 158 games. 158 games at first base. That's what he, that's what he said. That's what Hanley Ramirez said. Now, he said that on February 16th. Before J.D. Martinez signed with the Red Sox. Um, I don't know what Hanley Ramirez is going to be saying in June. I, like I said in the column, it looks good now. It sounds good now. Everybody's happy-go-lucky, feels good in spring training. Get back to me, get back to me this summer. Get back to me in June. Get back to me in July. We're all happy and we believe Hanley Ramirez when he says he wants to play first base. We believe that now. Get back to me in June. Get back to me in July. And let me know what Hanley Ramirez is saying then about playing first base. Because the obvious everyday lineup is Ben Attendee in left, Bradley Jr. in center, Betts in right, J.D. Martinez the D.H., and Hanley Ramirez at first base. But if Hanley at any point goes to Alex Cora and says, I don't want to play first base anymore. Let me be the DH. Why Why can't you put JD in the outfield? I had to play the outfield. I had to, you know, I had to play left field when I first came here. Why can't you put him in the outfield? He just showed up. I've been with this team a couple of years now. Why can't he play the outfield? If Hanley does that, then... Alex Cora is going to have to take somebody out of that outfield. He's going to have to take a penitenti. He's going to have to take a Jackie Bradley Jr. The the quotes coming out of spring training early, right when J.D. Martinez came to town a couple weeks ago, Cora said that at home, J.D. Martinez, if he's going to play the outfield, he'd play left field and, and keep Mookie Betts in right in that big right field at Fenway. He said when they were on the road, he would play J.D. Martinez in right, move Mookie Betts over to center, which I'm assuming would keep Ben Attendee in and take Bradley Jr. out of the lineup. So you're either, if Martinez is going to play in the outfield, either a Ben Attendee or a Jackie Bradley Jr., two lefties, one of those two guys are going to be out of the lineup. Now, you can obviously make a better argument for keeping Ben Attendee in because of his offense. But, I mean, Jackie Bradley Jr.'s defense is so damn good. Think about how many times we sit here and praise Jackie Bradley Jr. for his defense. You're going to take him out of that defense? For J.D. Martinez, who is... what is he even an average outfielder? I don't think so. You're getting J.D. Martinez for his bat. You're getting J.D. Martinez for his power. You're getting J.D. Martinez for his ability to hit 40 home runs in a season because that's what you needed more than anything. You're set defensively in the outfield. I don't know why you'd want to mess with that. So the easy thing to do, the obvious thing to do is make J.D. Martinez your everyday DH. Now, J.D. Martinez said something during his press conference that concerned me a little bit, but maybe not so much. He said, you know, part of the deal was I'm going to get to play some outfield. Okay, what is some outfield? It's not every day. Obviously, there are going to be times where you want to give Bradley Jr. a day off or maybe Ben Attendee a day off, and you can mix and match it like that. Every once in a while, that's fine. But where this could become a problem is if Hanley Ramirez goes to Alex Cora at any point during the season and says, I don't want to play first base anymore. That's going to be a problem because that's going to affect what Cora is doing with the lineup in a negative way. He's going to... Whether it's your outfield defense or your offense, it, Hanley Ramirez can throw a wrench into anything that Alex Cora is going to do. And so when I put my lineup together, I can't get past that. I can't. Like my lineup is simple. It's and and Alex Cora even said it. You know, Hanley Ramirez and JD Martinez, they are going to hit third and fourth in this lineup. It might not be in that order. You know, it might be J.D. Martinez third, Hanley in the cleanup. Might be Hanley third, J.D. in the cleanup. But you're committing, those are your three, four hitters. They're in the lineup every day in a perfect world. But I don't think you should want to take Ben Attendee out. I don't think you should want to take Jackie Bradley Jr. out of the uh, out of the outfield. And you're certainly not taking Mookie Betts out. So the easy decision, your everyday, go, your go-to lineup, your best lineup has J.D. Martinez the D.H. and Hanley at first. But I can't get over the fact that Hanley Ramirez 
It was well-documented last year. He did not want to play first base. He didn't. Late in the season, there was some things, you know, he played some first base, I think, right? Kind of came around to it. But what we heard was that Hanley didn't, he didn't want to play first. And early in the season, he was asked and he said, no, 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 I'm just here to hit. David's gone. Now I'm here. I'm just here to hit. What? He's never going to feel that way again? Please. I, I have a tough time believing that Hanley Ramirez is going to go a full season with, with never questioning his position on this team. If, if Alex Cora is going to have him play first all season long, I have a tough time believing Hanley is never going to be a little upset with that. I do. I have a tough time believing that. So when I put my lineup together, I just, I wonder how this is going to go down. It's easy for us to buy into it right now. But like I said in the column, get back to me. Get back to me in June. Let me know how Hanley Ramirez feels about playing first base every day in June, in July. Now, what I also said in the column was, there is some incentive for Hanley to play wherever Alex Cora puts him because there is a vesting option for 2019, for next season, on Hanley Ramirez. The only way that gets picked up, it's, uh, what is it, a $22 million deal in 2019? The only way that vesting option gets picked up is if Hanley Ramirez has 497 plate appearances this season. So if you do the math on that, in the last four seasons, only one of the last four, Hanley has had less than 497. Only one of the last four seasons, he's had less than 500 plate appearances. So it's it's safe to say Hanley's going to get his 497 plate appearances if he stays healthy, right? If he plays. And if you average it out at four plate appearances a game, which is usually what it comes out to, then you can pick up 500 plate appearances in 125 games. So that's sort of the bar if you handly play 125. When could you realistically get to 125 games? End of August? Is that what it is? End of August? 162 game season? We talking end of August, early September? I mean, you know, Hanley's going to have his eye on that too. And if he thinks maybe he's in a situation where he gets into June, July, and he knows he's going to get that 497 plate appearances and he's going, I, all right, yeah, I played first base here the first two, three months of the season. I, I got to play some DH. I'm hurting. I got some injuries. I got to play DH. What, you don't think that could happen? You think that's unrealistic? I don't. I don't. I don't think it's unrealistic. And if that happens, that is putting Alex Cora in such a tough position because then Hanley will basically have a gun to Alex Cora's head saying, you're either taking Ben Attendee or Jackie Bradley Jr. out of the lineup. Because you're putting J.D. Martinez in the outfield, you're putting me as a DH. And when you put J.D. Martinez in the outfield, you're taking somebody out of the outfield. So, I'm just, I'm just telling you right now, I'm trying to visualize. I'm trying to see how this thing's going to look. I'm putting together my go-to everyday lineup. I have questions about where Hanley's mind is going to be in the middle of the season about playing first base every day. Because that should be the line. You know, he should be the everyday first baseman. J.D. Martinez should be the everyday DH. Every once in a while, is he going to play some outfield? Yeah. You're going to give some guys some days off every once in a while? Yeah. Fine. Go ahead. Good. But your go-to everyday lineup? No, no, no. J.D.'s your DH. Hanley's your first baseman. I don't think it's crazy to sit here today on March 8th and question whether or not Hanley Ramirez is going to buy into playing first base for an entire season, especially if he gets closer to the middle or end of the season and he knows he's going to get that 497 plate appearances. Like, he's on pace for it. Even, let's say he gets it by the end of August. He gets to September. He's saying, hey, my shoulder's sore. Uh, my, my knee's banged up. My hip's hurting me. I, I can't play first base anymore. I'm not a first baseman. I played because I had to. I'm, I'm your DH. When Big Poppy left, I stepped into the DH role. That's my spot, not J.D. Martinez's spot. He just got here. No, 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 no. That's my spot. Alex Cora, you just got here. That's my spot, the DH. 
If you think that's out of the realm of possibility to happen later this season or in the middle of the season, I don't think you've been paying attention to Hanley Ramirez. I don't. So, it's just a question I had. I'm trying to visualize what this thing's going to look like, and I'm trying to put myself in Alex Cora's shoes. How are you going to handle it? But if you're asking me for my lineup right now, my go-to everyday lineup, it's a no-brainer. Ben Attendee in left, Jackie Bradley in center, Mookie Betts in right, J.D. Martinez at DH, Hanley Ramirez at first base, Mitch Mullen on the bench. That's it. That's it. So we'll see how it plays out. But it could get interesting. That's all I'm saying. And another position that could get interesting at the same time, and this is actually some news today as I'm recording this show. This is currently on Twitter. I'm reading this literally live on Twitter as I'm doing this. Alex Cora has named Eduardo Nunez the opening day second baseman over Dustin Pedroia. Now, this should be fairly obvious. I, I don't think this is... Earth-shattering news. Dustin Pedroia is coming back from the injury. He's not ready to go. There's really no need to rush it. There's no need to rush it. There's a reason why you went out and got Eduardo Nunez. I don't think you brought back Eduardo Nunez to open the season on the bench in a depth role. I think you got him for a reason. And I told you since last season ended, you know, since Eduardo Nunez was getting carried off the field in the playoffs... After he left the batter's box and, and fell to the ground and had to get picked, physically picked up and carried off the field against the Astros, I told you then, I said, you got to bring this guy back. The Red Sox, you can make the argument, wouldn't have even made the playoffs last year if it wasn't for Eduardo Nunez. I told you, you got to bring him back because Pedroia's out. You don't know what that timetable's going to be. And when they bring Nunez back, I think they bring him back because it's obvious Pedroia is not going to be ready. And Nunez is going to be now officially, according to Alex Cora, Nunez will be the Red Sox opening day second baseman. Which could, this could get interesting. I've said this many times. If Nunez plays the way he played last year, when the Red Sox acquired him, did, and Pedroia is ready to come back? Whenever that is, Alex Cora is going to have to make another decision. And, you know, maybe the most interesting part about that one is Alex Cora is the guy that lost his job to Dustin Pedroia. And maybe I am playing that up to be a little bit more than it actually was at the time. But if you can remember 2007, if you can remember that season, the first month of the season, you know, Pedroia, he was awful. He was, you know, he's got that swing where he gets down on one knee and he's just up there trying to hit the ball out of the park every single swing and he, he was, you know, falling down on the knee and and you're watching that going, eh, why don't you go back to the veteran? Why don't you go back to, to Cora? And uh, Tito, from, de- from everything I remember, he, you know, Pedroia was his guy. And we know the relationship that was created at that point with Francona and with Dustin Pedroia and how that continued to be a great relationship between those two guys. And um, sometimes a little too much at times. But, you know, that situation, Cora was right in the middle of that. And now he could be right in the middle of having to make a decision at Pedroia's position if Nunez is playing at the level he was playing at last year. What makes you think he won't? I mean, is anybody going to be rooting? I'm not saying I'm sitting here rooting for Pedroia to lose his job to an injury and and to lose it to Nunez, but I am telling you that I'll be rooting for Nunez to have success, and if he has success, the type of success he had last year, how could you possibly take him out when Pedroia gets back? It That's going to get interesting. I don't know that... I don't know that he'll choose Nunez over Pedroia, but let's say he does. How's Pedroia going to handle that? I mean, Pedroia last year didn't seem like he handled anything well. So, how's he going to handle that? He is a fiery bastard. He is a passionate dude. And if he's ready to play, he's going to go to Alex Cora and say, no, 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 you put me in. This is my team. That's my position. You know he's going to say that. And I'm not saying... 
look, I'm, I'm not saying I'd blame him. Like, the competitor in me would be saying the same thing. But the reality is, Cora's going to have a decision to make. And I'm just telling you that if Nunez plays the way he played last year, that's going to be a tough decision. That might not be an easy decision, which might <laughs> which might make that interesting. They, things could get interesting at second base. But Alex Cora has named Eduardo Nunez the opening day second baseman. And then my final baseball thought, because I'm jumping on here and I'm going, like I said, visualizing, going through lineups, going through the rotation, the pitching staff. And as I record this show, I'm looking at the pitching staff. I'm going, well, Eduardo Rodriguez, you know, he's still trying to get back. He's not ready yet to come back. He's going to begin on the DL, I think, right? You're not going with Steven Wright. You're not going, you're going with Brian Johnson. I'm trying to look to see, you know, who's going to finish out this rotation. Uh... There's a name out there that's still a free agent. I don't know what type of deal he's going to be looking for this late, but he's a Scott Boris client, so he's going to want a lot of money. But is it going to be a long-term contract? Jake Arrieta. Jake Arrieta. He just turned 32 years old. He is still a free agent. Yep, he's a Boris client. I believe he rejected a qualifying offer close to 20 mil. So you probably have to pay him, you probably have to pay him tw- anywhere from 20 to 25 mil for maybe one season, like per season. Like, are we looking at a, a two-year, $44 million deal for Jake Arrieta at 32 years old? I, I don't know what they want. I really don't. But I tell you right now, I'd kick the tires on it if I'm the Red Sox. I would see what's up there. I would... I would continue to stay in touch with Boris. I mean, you know, you have the situation with J.D. Martinez with Dombrowski and Boris and the medical staff and, you know, it was reported on the, what, on the 19th, didn't didn't become official till the 26th. Scott Boris said at that press conference that him and Dave Dombrowski had become a lot closer in that, that week span where they were talking about this deal and trying to finalize it. I don't know. You think they had any conversations about Jake Arrieta? I would hope so, and I would hope that the Red Sox continue to monitor that situation because if you're telling me that you could bring Jake Arrieta in on a short-term contract, even if it's big money average annual, but it's short-term, you're telling me you wouldn't like to see Jake Arrieta as the number five starter for your Boston Red Sox? Look, the strikeouts were down last year. You know, you talk about velocity issues. Um but Jake Arrieta, I mean, if it's a short-term contract, there's, there's some incentive and some motivation there, isn't there? So I would, I would absolutely consider it if I'm the Red Sox. It's just a name I thought of. I'm trying to, I'm trying to visualize, trying to put together. You can, you can never have too much start and pitching. How many times have we learned that? And all it's going to take, I'm telling you right now, all it's going to take is, uh. You know, uh, uh, Chris Sale, you know, he's stretching the arm and doesn't know what's going on in the shoulder. Or David Price, you know, he's flexing his wrist and his forearm and he doesn't know what's going on. He's trying to shake something off. All it's going to take is something little like that for us to go nuts about the rotation and say, oh, they don't have enough pitching. I'm t- it's going to happen. And, and I'm not saying those guys are going to be down and out for an extended period of time. I'm not going to sit here and try to predict injury. But what I am going to do is predict if there is injury, how are the Red Sox going to be able to overcome that? Are they deep enough? Do they have enough pitching? You can never have too much pitching. And that's why I look at somebody like Jake Arrieta, who's still out in the market, and I say, hey, you just dealt with his agent on one guy. Why not keep talking to him about another? If it's going to be a short term, okay, it's going to be a high average annual. It's not my money. It's not your money. The Red Sox, if they were to give Jake Arrieta, if he were to accept a one-year million deal? Would the Red Sox organization collapse? (laughs) Would that that be it? Would they have to cut jobs on Yaki Way? No, you wouldn't even remember that fucking contract in five years. And if you did, it would be a good memory because that would mean Jake Arrieta led you to a World Series championship and was much better than a number five starter on a deal that you could say is incentive-based if it's short-term. Just throwing it out there. Jake Arrieta. What's up with him? If I'm the Red Sox, I'm going to continue to monitor that situation the next couple weeks as we get closer to opening day. So, moving on from baseball, just 
wrapping it up here with a couple quick NBA, NHL thoughts. NBA, just some news. The Toronto Raptors on Wednesday night, 47 wins. They are the first team to clinch a playoff berth in the NBA with their overtime win over the Detroit Pistons. So the Raptors, I can't believe Houston, the Rockets haven't clinched a playoff spot yet. No, what, they got 51 wins as I record this show? Uh, it's got to be, they got to be, they have to be clinching a playoff berth soon, Houston. Well, whatever. The Raptors are the first team to do it. First team to clinch a playoff berth with 47 wins. They are the number one seed in the East right now. And then in the NHL, talking about my Bruins, David Backus, you know, they're dealing with injuries. I've already talked about the injuries, but they're going to be without another guy. It's not injury-related. It's suspension-related. David Backus has been suspended for three games because of his hit to the head the other day. And I always have a reaction to a suspension. I mean, the NHL, they get most of their reactions because of suspensions. They do. And I'm not trying to tell you that they dish out suspensions because it puts them in the news and it gets people talking about their sport. I mean, I'm a hockey guy, but I will acknowledge that I am guilty of most of the time reacting to the NHL because there's a suspension. So, I mean, I'm not saying they just suspend for ratings, but uh, it, it, it does lead to opinions from a lot of people, strong ones. And I have an opinion on the David Backus three-game suspension. I think that if you're the NHL and you see Backus, you know, he's running around, he's chasing a guy behind the net. He went behind the net, right? He's chasing the puck behind the net. Gets up to the, you know, he's on the forecheck, gets gets up to the right half wall, and the guy just sort of chips it up, gets it out of the zone. Backus skates by him. The guy doesn't have the puck anymore. And he tries to finish his check, just tries to give him a little bump, and the shoulder comes up to the head area. And it kind of was like a just a flyby, quick little bump. But it, you know, he finished it, went into the glass, shoulder came up and hit the guy's hit the guy in the head. Guy went down. You know, I think he left. Did he leave the game? Is was there some type of injury to come along with that? Regardless, if on the NHL and I see that type of hit, like if I just say if I don't know who that is, Backus is obviously one of the good guys in the league. He's not a scumbag. He's not a weasel. He's not a fourth-line grinder. Like, Backus is one of the good guys in the league. But if I just take that player, I take a silhouette of that player, I say player X just is running around the offensive zone, finished this hit on a guy who doesn't have a puck, and he came up high with the shoulder. It was sort of like just a fly-by hit. And the guy goes down and gets hurt. Even though, Even if he didn't get hurt, that hit, if I'm just looking at that as player X, if I'm the NHL, I'm saying, I don't like that hit. I don't like that hit. Because it's to the head, and it's just, I had had a weasel, had a weasel tone to it, didn't it? it put it this way. I'm okay with the suspension. I am not okay with the three games. I think it's it's too many games. But I can understand if the league wants to suspend that hit. If they're looking at it and saying, Player X just did this. Not David Backus just did this. But when you take just the silhouette away and you see that it's Backus, I think that to give him three games is a little much. Three games is too much. I can understand wanting to suspend for that hit, but three games is too much considering it's David Backus. I think it should have been one game. If you told me today that Backus was suspended one game because the league wants to, they want to let people know, everybody watch this hit. We know everybody reacts to suspensions. Backus is a good guy. We want to get your attention. We're going to use this as an example. One game. Don't do this. I can understand that. But three games is too much. Three games is too much for David Backus. But it should have been one game. That's what I'll tell you. Should it, That should be a one-game suspension instead of a three-game suspension for Bacchus, and that is too much. So that's my thoughts on the suspension. Get this show whenever you want at dannypicard.com. Also on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, literally anywhere podcasts are available. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash dannypicard. 
We got some interesting content coming there soon. And when you subscribe, hit the notifications button. So whenever we post a video, and it will be regularly, you will be notified if you subscribe to my YouTube channel right now. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. I will be back on Monday. Talk to you then. <laughs>